Well, good evening, everyone, and uh, good evening to those who are joining with us online. And uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, please would you turn to 1 John chapter 4. And I uh, just want to highlight a, a couple of things. John, who wrote this, is often called the Apostle of Love, the Apostle of Love. And uh, this is a letter full of love. And he's just overflowing. He's almost gushing with the love of God. And he's someone who's experienced it. He can't help but express it. And he addresses those that he's writing to a number of times here as the beloved. And whenever I read that word, it's a bit of an archaic word, beloved. I think of be loved. And that's what we're thinking about this evening, being loved by the God and Lord of the universe. Whatever else we may say about Jesus, the one thing we must always say is that he is love and that he loves us. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. This is how God showed his love to us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. A few weeks ago, I was preaching somewhere about the Lord's love. And uh, the following week, someone who wasn't uh, usually a church goer, in fact, they've only just started going as a young adult, they came up to me and they said this, can't stop thinking about what you said about God's love. I said, oh, well, thanks, you know, that's nice. I appreciate that. And they said, no, they said, no one has ever loved me. All my life, she said, no one's ever loved me. But now I know that God loves me. Whatever else we say, whatever else we may say about Jesus, we must say that he loves us. Let me just say four things for us to reflect on. First, God is love. Someone wrote to me earlier this year and said, why in our creeds, our kind of summary, condensed statements of faith, doesn't it say that God is love? Is it not all that important? And it's true that none of the historic creeds, the I believes, the statements of faith, the Nicene, the Apostles, the Athanasian Creed, none of them actually say that God is love. And I had to explain to this person writing to me that that was because they were written at a particular time in a particular place, addressing often a particular problem, certain heresies that had come, but that it was a great pity, and that if we were to rewrite the creeds today, not that we can or should, because they're universally accepted by the historic church and the universal church today, but if we did, I would want it to say somewhere, you know, front and center really, underlined in triple, that Jesus is love. And that all of God's being and doing is love. My favorite statement 
in uh, the historic formularies of the faith is by is the Catholic Catechism on this issue. And I'm sorry that this is non-inclusive language. It's an, an ancient statement. But it says this. The dignity of man rests above all on the fact that he and she is called to communion with God. This invitation to converse with God is addressed to man and woman as soon as they come into being. For if a man and woman exists, it is because God has created them through love. And through love continues to hold them in existence. It's his very love that sustains our being. He cannot live, we cannot live fully according to truth unless we freely acknowledge that love and entrust ourselves to it. The very thing that keeps us alive is the love of God. And we become fully alive when we acknowledge and give ourselves to it. That's the first thing. God is love. The second thing I want to say is this, that love is a verb. God's a person, that's a noun. But love is a verb, as the great song by John Mayer says. It is, it's not static, in that reading, 1 John 4, 8, it says, this is how he loves us. He sends his only son. Love shows itself. Love reveals itself. Love is not a proposition. It's not an abstraction. And it's not even an emotion. Although when we experience love and show love, there is emotion behind it. Love is a verb. It shows itself. This is how he loves us. And love is a movement, and it's an act. And love takes the lead in moving towards us. God is love, and Jesus is God. And Jesus is love with us. If God is love, and Jesus is God, and Jesus is love with us, then love underwrites and explains everything that Jesus is and that Jesus does. Whatever category that we're thinking about when we're looking at Jesus, who he is, how he is, what he said, what he did, and so on, it is all infused and impregnated and then overflowing with God's love. What does love look like? Jesus says, look at me, look no further. And his love is not transactional. St. John here says, not that we loved him, but that he loved us. He loves us first. He doesn't love us. I just forgot what I was going to say then, I'm sorry. He loves us. I can't read my own writing here. His love is not earned, it's not merited, it's not bought, it's not qualified for, it's not given in response to anything. He doesn't love us because of what we do. He loves us because of who he is. It is the overflow of his being. It's not transactional. It's not given in reward or response. 
Our love to him is a response to his first love to us. You know, Jesus is the only God that the world has ever heard of that loves sinners. All sorts of other religions and traditions will accept that God is love, but that, that love is qualified on the basis of our qualifying for it. But he loved us first. And at the cross, he saw us from afar, and he loved us. 2,000 years before we were born, he loved us. And then thirdly, love is a life given up. 1 John 4.10 says, He loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love sacrifices. Love lies bleeding. God opens up a wound in his being in order to close the wounds in ours. This weekend is Remembrance Sunday and we will remember those military persons who laid down their life for their country and at their uh, leaders' commands. We remember their loved ones, their wives, their children, their parents who lost their loved ones. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this than he lay down his life for his friends. What an extraordinary thing. And when we consider Jesus and that beautiful life laid down, we know that we are loved. We know that he calls us his friends, and he calls us into intimacy and relationship and friendship with him. Because he loves us, he loses his life for us. Because he loves us more than himself, he lays down his life for us. It's often said it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross, but it was his love that kept him there. And he didn't die in vain. And in his love, he extinguishes sin and death and judgment and hell. And he opens up the way in love for us to be reunited, to be united, to be reconciled with God. Love is laid down. It's a life given up. And then lastly, love is life giving. I really appreciated what Charlotte just said in her interview. She said, love makes me whole. Love makes me whole. It's true. His love makes me whole. And when I am not loved, I am diminished. I'm I'm less than who I was made to be. And it's only in the presence of his love, the experience of his love, the relationship that his love poured out at Calvary offers that I begin to become who I am. You know, the whole act of creating life was an act of the God of love wanting to pour out himself in love. Love gives life. Marx preached recently on the theme that Jesus has come to give us life and life in all its fullness. He comes to give us life because he loves us, because he wants to be the making of us, because he wants the best for us, the most for us, and in love he gives us life. And it's only as we respond to his love 
that we come to life. There are so many places in our being that are not alive where there are shadows. His love brings us alive. My sons grew up with the book Velveteen Rabbit. I don't know if you know that. And it's a wonderful children's book about this lad who has this little furry rabbit and he talks to it and, and uh, uh, strokes it and you know, goes to sleep with it and wakes up, where's my rabbit and so on. And uh, over a while, this rabbit begins to come to life. It's a beautiful little story. And the narrator says, when a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Fantastic. Well, God loves you to life. And when you let Jesus love you, when you respond to him, when you walk with him, when you talk with him, when you study his word, when you apply it uh, to your life, when you wake up and turn to him, when you go to sleep and get conscious and thank him, when he's part of your life, when you worship, when you seek to be like him, you become more real who you're meant to be. Many of us have areas of our lives that are lifeless and dull and deadened. But as we turn to Jesus and receive his love and respond with love to him, he loves us to life. We become real. Let me finish with this. Jesus' love sets everything in order. In the 1960s, Judson Cornwall, who's gone to be with the Lord, he's one of my favorite preachers, and I used to, you know, Listen a lot to him of 30-odd years ago. And uh, a wonderful minister. He had a brother called Robert Cornwall. And he was a pastor in Salem in Oregon. And he was very poor in the 60s. And he looked to supplement his income by offering himself at a local hospital as a counselor. He had done some training as that. And there was a vacancy. And he got a job there one day a week. The day he arrived, he met by these two big guys and they took him to a large padded cell. And in this padded cell, there were 37 dear broken patients who were so drugged up, the drugs weren't sophisticated in those days and in that particular state, the way that they were being applied at that time, I guess, was just overwhelming. It was just a kind of volume of drugs that just sedated and just drained the personality out of the person and just sort of maintained them almost like a zombie. And he said, in this room, they were half naked, some wearing nappies because they were incontinent. There was effluent on the floor. And the Lord whispered to him and said, sit on the floor. They were walking around unaware of him, and he just sat on the floor. And then the Lord said to him, sing a song. And the only song he could think of was, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. He sang it for an hour. 
And at the end, he got up, the door opened, and off he went. A week later, he returned. There were 37 people in the room. It was just the same old mess. And again, the Lord said, sit on the floor. And he sat and he sang. This time, he said, this large lady came over to him. He thought, am I going to be attacked or what? And instead, she sat down behind him and joined in the song. He kept this up week after week, going in, sitting down, singing the song. But by the end of it, all of them were joining in the song. And the song that touched some deep place in the labyrinths of their soul brought them alive, overcame the weight of the drugs. They was, the medics were seeing a difference in reducing the medication and they were becoming free. Within a while, 36 of the 37 were on self-help wards, and within one year, 35 of the 37 had left hospital, and two of them joined his church. And the reason why I believe the story is because only two of them joined the church. <laughs> if there were more than that, I'd say it was all hyperbole. It's a miracle. But that song, it wasn't just the song, it was the truth in the song and the connection of that truth deep into their soul. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And the cross shows me so. And the Spirit coming to us makes it so. There are many things we may say about Jesus, but one thing we must say is that he is love. Thanks for listening.